Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Sure is good to see you here tonight. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being online, wherever you are. We're going to be studying the life of Naaman, at least a small part of it tonight. It's an interesting study. All of you know it, but it's still interesting. I'm glad you're with us. I've got some good news, for me at least. I received a telephone call about a month ago, and I have won a new car. Guy called me from New York and said, you have won a new car. I got so excited, I didn't ask him what kind it was. I just said, great, I like that. He said, well, I said, how do I get it? Where is it? He said, well, we need your uh, credit card number or bank account or something. We'll process it with the fees and ship it to you. I said, oh, no, 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 I'll come and get it. I said, I'll bring money to pay the fees and everything you ask for. But I want to come here. He said, well, we don't normally do that. I said, that's how I said, it's my car, isn't it? He said, oh, yes. Your name on it, it's already here. I said, where is it? He said, well, <clears throat> we, uh, we don't normally do it that way. I said, I want to do it that way. I said, I'm coming after it. I like to drive anyway. I like to travel. Where is it? He said, well, uh, you know what? I'm going to have to call you back. I said, why? I just got to make sure this is all right. I'll call you next Tuesday. Well, Tuesday has passed. Twice. I've got some more good news, though. I'm really a millionaire. I know it don't look like it. But there's some guy out there been putting $150,000 a week in my account. He writes me every time. He said, it is in your account. I'm looking for the account. I can't find it. I know it's there because he's an honest man. Has to be. He's done that several times. Probably more than a million dollars. Alan, when I get that, I'm going to split it with the church. There you go. It's too good to be true. Big cold language, it ain't true. It's just how it is. A commander of the Syrian army, a Naaman by name, got an offer that he thought was too good to be true. He really did. Sometime, sometime between the year 840 B.C., 850 B.C., Jehoram ruled in the northern kingdom of Israel. Ben-Hadad was king of Aram, Damascus. He ruled in Syria. Naaman was the commander of Ben-Hadad's army. He contracted leprosy. How terrible. Because of these unusual circumstances, he comes to the fore, he comes to the front in God's word. This is in the Bible, I'm telling you. Naaman's in the Bible because he is a leper. 
We have a one-slide PowerPoint coming up in just a minute. We're going to stay with that so you can follow with at least an outline of Scripture. Right now, let's go to 2 Kings 5. Read about Naaman. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Assyria, was a great and honorable man, the eyes of his master, because by him Yahweh had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. I want to stop here and just say this. The Bible says that by the power of God, he had been given victory. By the power of God, Naaman had become something important. He was a great man. We talked about Gideon last night just a little. But I want to talk about men of valor. Gideon was out by the wine press threshing wheat. He was hiding from the Midianites. And Yahweh, angelic form, comes to him and says, The Lord be with you, O mighty man of valor. O mighty man of valor. Great physical, spiritual courage. Gideon said, Wait a minute, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh which is not an outstanding tribe, and I'm the least in my father's house. Why are you addressing me that way? Well, he was addressing him that way because that's who Gideon was. We talked about him last night. He started to go against the Midianites with 32,000 men. And Yahweh stopped him and said, too many men. He got rid of 22,000, came down to 10,000. And he said, take the, too many men, take these men down to the brook and let them drink. And those who lap water like a dog, take them. And those that don't, let them go. He kept 300 men. Now, this is not in the Bible, but I was told by some young upstart not long ago that the men who lapped water like the dog were old men because they couldn't get down there and drink with their mouth. Had to do it like this. Had to do it like this. Not like Bill Eads, for example. See? <laughs> I don't know anybody else like Bill Eads in here. He's old. I'm not Bill. I'm upper middle age. At least I'm two years behind you. I don't think that's true. But with 300 men, the man of valor, the mighty man of valor, defeated the Midianites. 300 men plus God. And God sometimes seems like a fictitious character. He is to many people. But here is Naaman, a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Bad, bad news. I want to get on leprosy. Do you have that PowerPoint up here anywhere? I want to get on leprosy just a minute because we do misunderstand it. I hope you can read that. It's sort of small, but I can read it. So I hope you can. Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, deals with leprosy. Many places. The leprosy Naaman has was not Hansen's disease. That's the awful kind of leprosy. That is not known in the Old Testament. That leprosy in the Old Testament was a skin disease primarily. 
In the New Testament, one is referred to as having a withered hand. That may be Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease, the bones became bigger. Elventiosis, I believe it's called. The legs or arms or whatever. Person's all out of balance and he has terrible problems in life. Finally dies of that. There's no cure for it. But this leprosy Naaman had was not that kind and probably had a cure. And medication that we have today was not available then. Incidentally, I was in Cuba years ago, went to a hospital, and I talked to one of the doctors and learned that even though they have good doctors there, he said, we let patients in this hospital die of appendicitis. When we could go in and operate on them and save their lives, if we had penicillin. We don't have penicillin down here for the most part. And I go in and operate on a patient. I take the appendix out. Infection sets up. And I'm the culprit. I won't touch them. I just let them die. It's terrible, isn't it? Awful. We did ship loads of medicine down there, incidentally, back in the 90s. Saved a lot of lives, I'm sure. But here's Naaman with a disease that might take his life, even though it's not the great leprosy that we normally think of it as being. And here's a problem, if you want to go back into the language a little bit. When the Septuagint was being translated in the 2nd century or 3rd century B.C., that is the Hebrew Scriptures taken and put into Greek down in Alexandria, Egypt. Anytime this word came up in Hebrew, it was translated in the Greek as lepra, L-E-P-R-A. That's for skin rashes, psoriasis, for a ringworm, balls, whatever. It was put in there as lepra, which is not leprosy. But when the New Testament was being translated into English, it was very convenient to use the word leprosy. Everywhere that occurred. Now look at Leviticus 13. I want to talk about leprosy for a minute. Luke 13, Leviticus 13, 3. When a man has a skin, has the skin of his body a swelling, a scab or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron, the priest, or one of his sons, the priest. The priest shall examine the sore, the skin of his body, If the hair on the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of the body, it is a leprous sore. It's a ball. It's a, uh, it reaches lower than the skin. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. Get the word unclean. You know, the story is that if a young man about to get married had a sore on his arm, He'd go to the priest who was his friend and say, Sir, I, I need you to look at this. I might be leprous. And the priest say, No, no, I don't want to do that. You're about to get married, aren't you? You go ahead and get married. You live with your wife. You take six months. And then you come back to see me. If I pronounce that leprous now, I'll have to isolate you and you can't get married. Does that sound like a leprosy? Do you understand it? It's not the kind I was taught about. A leprous person has to be isolated quickly, out of society, put in a colony. 
But that's not just because it's contagious. It's because a leper was unclean. He was ceremonially unclean if he had leprosy. Leprosy was a sign of sin. There's the problem. Look at Leviticus 14, verse 1, though. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. The priest shall go out of the camp. The priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the, in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who shall be cleansed, a living clean bird. And he goes through a lot of things here. I don't want to take time to read, but he goes through the ceremony. And then, uh, he says down here in, uh, verse eight, he who is cleansed who is he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off his hair, wash himself in water, that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp, shall stay outside his tent seven days, but the seventh day he shall shave his hair off his head. Wouldn't be a problem for some of us to do that. And his beard, I have a problem there. His eyebrows and all his hair shall shave off his body. He shall shave, he shall wash his clothes, wash his body in water. He shall be clean. He's already healed. He was healed earlier in the chapter here. Now he shall be clean. So a leper who didn't have any signs of leprosy anymore was still isolated. Why? Because he was ceremonially unclean. Look at Leviticus 14, verses 34 and 35. When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you in possession... And I put a leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession. He who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me that there's some plague in the house. That may be mold, mildew, whatever, but they call it leprosy. And you have to take everything out of the house. You have to burn it. Sometimes burn the house because of the mold or mildew that's in there. Wow. Wow. Now, I said a while ago that leprosy represented sinfulness. What kind of sin? The rabbis say in particular, it represented the sins of the tongue. Example, Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Look at this. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And of course, God called them out, had a chat with them, said, this is wrong. And he put a cloud over them. Then in verse 10 of Numbers 12, when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and she was a leper. You know, Aaron committed the same sin. I don't know why Miriam got leprosy leprosy and, and Aaron didn't, but I have an idea. Miriam had a special leadership in that group. She was leader of the women. And this was really a rebellion of the women against Moses. Even though Aaron joined in, Miriam was punished the more for it. And she had to be isolated, of course. I think kept out of the camp for a week and then was brought back in. Isolated because she was unclean. And maybe that some of these things were contagious. Ringworm is. A lot of things are on the skin. 
but not dangerously so they can be treated, at least in our day. Okay, that being said, I see Naaman with his soldiers. I see him as a commander. I see him with deeply involved with people face to face. I don't see him isolated. He is not an Israelite. There's no law in his country that says, okay, you're sinful. Stay over here in this group. We're going to put you out of the camp. No, he was in the middle of the camp. He was leader of the camp. Syrians in verse 2 had gone out on raids and they had brought back a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. I love this story. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. I saw, thought I saw Cindy in here a minute ago, but I saw the skit in here last night. It was very wonderful. I enjoy. I sneaked in last. They had just started. Did a good job. He would heal him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, Ben-Hadad, saying, Thus and thus said the little girl from the land of Israel, the king of Samaria said, uh, the king of Syria said, go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Now, people in politics get things messed up. They just do. It's just that way. I did write Mr. Reagan a letter, two or three letters, but I wrote him one time. I probably told you this story because it quite impressed me. He had made a statement that we needed to protect Israel because they were God's people. And they were, they had the land God gave them and they were to keep it. Well, of course, they were God's people and that ended at the cross. They don't have that land. I love Israel myself. I hope they do keep it. But I wrote Mr. Reagan and I told him he had been listening to too many televangelists. That the Bible didn't teach any such thing. That those promises were fulfilled and died at the cross. He didn't write me back. It's all right. Politicians keep things mixed up. Just how it is. So this king in Syria... Who did he relate to down in Israel? Another king. Okay, there's somebody down there that can heal you. I'll send you down there. King of Syria said in verse 5, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. I just think I did that. Jehoram. So he departed, took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. You know how much a talent is? How much is a talent? Somebody tell me. 85, 75, we don't know, 75 or 85, between 75 and 100, you're there. That's pretty heavy. 10 talents of silver. And James, that's 750 pounds at least. I could get along with that pretty well. 10,000 shekels of gold. That's 200 pounds of gold. (laughs) 200 pounds of gold. What in the world would you do with that? 10 changes of clothing. That's humongous. I know they made the suits we wear on Sunday. They made them in five minutes. 
but a change of clothing that the king would send probably took one year to build. Ten changes of clothing, that's ten man-years of work. This king is serious. He sends silver, gold, and clothes. Can you believe that? Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when the letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Isn't that that sweet? We heard you could do it. He didn't hear such thing. The little maid said, there's a prophet in Israel. Oh, it got bent out of shape. He might, he might have heard that. Somebody might have said, yeah, the king can do that down in Israel. So it goes down there. We, we want you to heal Naaman, my servant of leprosy. It happened when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive? He's asking a good question. This man sends a man to me to heal him of leprosy. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. He's trying to pick a fight. He's trying to find a way to attack me. He's trying to draw me into a fight. And since he's the one who's starting this, he probably has a way of finishing it. I'm not going to get involved in this. There must have been a big ruckus about this because Elisha hears about it. And Elisha, the man of God, goes up there. And he says to the king, why have you torn your clothes? You know, it kind of is funny that every time a king got into real trouble, he'd tear his clothes. He just did. I mean, those were expensive clothes, but I mean, that's what he did. I don't know if you've ever torn your clothes or not. I tore mine one time. I really, I really did. This is the truth. My cat was chasing a mouse around the house when I was a teenager one night and the mouse got lost. Nobody could find it. Next morning I got up half asleep, went in there by the fire to put my socks on, reached down to get my my shoes on, reached down to get a sock, and that little mouse hit my back of my hand right up my shirt sleeves. I woke up. Now, well, that was not grief, though. That was fright. I just happened to think about it when I read this. So he tears his clothes. Elisha said, why have you done that? Send him to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Oh, Elisha. It's going to take him a while to figure that out. Naaman went with his horses and chariot. He stood at the door of Elisha, Elisha's house. It was a hovel, I'm sure. I'm sure it's not somewhere you'd want to live. Probably a thatched roof. I don't know. I didn't see it. I'm not that old. But here he is in front of, the, in front of this house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. And folks, 
I told that story at the beginning just for a reason. He felt just like I felt when I got a call that says you have a new car waiting on you. You have $150 a week going into your bank account. It's already in there. And I'll put more in there. I never opened those things. I never played with those men on computers. Will not do it. I'll do it on telephone. Not on a computer. But this is too good. This can't happen. This man is, first of all, he didn't come out and do it himself. Secondly, I thought he'd come out and say, uh, just be kind of still here, Naaman. I'm going to take care of this. I'm principal. I'll do. I'll work this out for you. I'll make sure that everything goes all right. There's the magic. Get out of here. Didn't work. In the name of the real God, get out of here. You're healed. Naaman became furious. He knew something different was happening here. He went away and he said, Indeed, I thought he'd come out and wave his hand over the place and so forth. But he said, Go wash seven times in the Jordan. That's too crazy. Too easy. I was reminded one time of my friend Keith in another country. Keith kept many people at his house. I had a group of religious people in there from the United States before I got there. And he said, this little girl came over to me and told me how to be saved and said it just didn't make any sense at all. She just said all I had to do was pray, and that's just way too simple. I can do what I want to, but if I pray, it all goes away. That's not right, is it? I said, no, but it is simple. Very simple. Salvation is simple if your heart's right. And I told it to him. He said, that's, that's, just, that's just too easy. You know, we don't think about what others think of us. We get excited sometimes about bringing a friend to worship with us that's not religious at all. And I hope we do that, of course. But they come into the assembly and say, man, this is good singing, but where's the choir? Where's the organ? Where, where's the, I, I, I never have seen anything like this. Brother Glenn gets up to preach and say, man, he's too calm. They don't listen to what he says. They look at what he does. He doesn't do any jumping around and join with the audience. He just preaches. Not used to that. We have to understand that. How many of you remember Dr. Laura on television years ago? Dr. Laura, the sociologist, the Schlesinger. Everybody does, but you're not admitting it. She was good in many ways. Never will forget the day she got a phone call. She gave marital advice, sometime good marital advice. This guy called and said, Dr. Laura, I got a real problem. My girlfriend, we're about to get married, but I just learned that she doesn't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I said, uh-oh, this will be fun because Laura doesn't believe he's a Christ. <laughs> We're going to have real fun here. 
And Laura said, <clears throat> well, what difference does it make if he rose from the dead or not? He said, well, I never thought of that. Maybe it doesn't make any difference. She said it doesn't. Well, I might go ahead and marry her anyway. He was real deep in the faith, wasn't he? It's crazy, crazy man he was. That's how deep our religion runs sometimes. Go wash. That won't work. Too simple. I'm out of here. Are not the Abanan, Farper, rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He went away in hot displeasure. We try to make up ways for ourselves. We try to devise ways for ourselves. This is as good as this. I know God said do this, but this is just as good. And it's easy to say, you know, as long as we got some water on us, it doesn't matter how much, we can call it baptism. Well, God didn't. He called immersion baptism. Well, do you think water saves us? No. What difference does it make then in how much water? <laughs> Just because God said it. What difference does it make? Which river? Because God said the Jordan River. Any magic in Jordan? No, no. None at all. Well, a banner would have done as well. No, no. God said Jordan. He didn't say Jordan only. He just said Jordan. Farper? No, he said Jordan. Water is water. River's a river. I'll choose the better river. Knocked on a man's door one time, invited him to worship. He said, uh, uh, <clears throat> what are your religious books? I said, the Bible. He said, well, I've got a Bible too. But I've got the Book of Mormon. I've got books from the Hindus. I've got books from the Muslims. I've got all these books and I've read them. I've got a better religion than you do. You know what? The blood of Christ is not on the Book of Mormon. It's not on the Hebrew books, uh, the the uh, the uh, Muslim books, not on the Hindu books, not on the Buddhist books. The blood of Christ is on the Bible only. That's all I need. The rest is confusing. His servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? You know, I like this man. I like Naaman. He is a man in authority, he is a commander. And he allows one of his inferior officers, sub-officers, to talk to him like that. The man knew he could. The man knew his master would listen to him. Naaman was superior. But he knew it would work. And he said it. And he thought, well, might as well. He was a wise, humble man. So he went down. Now hold on to your seat because you don't know the rest of this story, I know. Went down and he dipped six times in the Jordan River and he looked just like he did when he went in there. But he dipped seven times 
and came out and said, his flesh was like that of a young man. I used to think that was a baby. I teased the women about trying to look like a baby. Thousands of dollars a year, but that's not how it is. It's like a young person. His flesh became clear like a young person. How wonderful. He was excited. He returned to the man of God in his aids, came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there's no God in all the earth except in Israel. And therefore, please take a gift from him, from your servant. So he comes back to Naaman's house. And he has 750 pounds of silver, 200 pounds of gold, and 10 garments. Naaman refused them. I mean, uh, Elisha refused them. Elisha was not a televangelist. He was, I know he wasn't. I would call some names, but I really don't need to. I'll call one, though. I'll call Mac Lyon in search of the Lord's way. Mac told me something happened to him. He said, James, I was sitting in my office. Secretary came and said, Brother Lyon, there's a couple of men out here from a national news agency who wants to interview you. He said, bring them in. He said, they got right down to business. He said, Mr. Lyon, uh, where do you live? He gave him the address. There in Edmond, Oklahoma, they looked at each other. Uh, what kind of car do you drive? He told him it was 12 years old. They looked at each other. What does your wife drive? She drives one 14 years old. Mr. Lyon, uh, how do you receive your money? From the general public or how? He said, no, the church writes me one check a month. How much is it, he told him. He said, uh, incidentally, my accountant for this business, he here's his name and address and telephone number. Go talk with him. When I'm said to the other, we don't have any business here. Let's go. Trying to find something against him. They didn't find it. Not going to find anything against Elisha either. Nothing here for us. But he converted Naaman. Verse 16, he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, or I'm sorry, Elisha says this, I will receive nothing. Urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then if not, Please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to Yahweh, your God. What a wonderful, wonderful thing he had just found out because of Elisha, who was a poor man who believed God, who was unselfish. Now, you know, Gehazi, the servant, you, you remember that. He, he follows these men and he gets part of the goods. He comes back and Naaman said, where have you been? I haven't been anywhere, sir. 
Yes, you have, and I went with you. And uh, you have taken things that don't belong to you. He took them away, of course, and God caused Naaman's leprosy to come on him. Use his mouth in the wrong way. And God gave him leprosy. Now you're as smart as I am. That's all I know about it. What are your questions or comments? Yeah. Yes, sir. I don't know. I don't know what you said. I still didn't get it. I'm sorry. I couldn't understand you. Yeah, I'm going to... The covenant between God and man is new because what? Jesus redeemed us. Jesus redeemed us. Yeah, you're correct. That's a good, good point. Thank you. Okay, anybody else? Yes, sir. Isn't uh, Naaman's statement in verse 15 kind of like the confession that we're called to make? But there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. There is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Naaman's confession. Yes. Uh, recognize him as the true God. Yes. Thank you. I skipped that. <laughs> uh, you know what? The question, the question that she, or the proposal she made here, is he had to bow before Remen when his master, Naaman, had to bow when he took his master to worship. He had to bow before Remen, and uh, he said, "Can I do that?" And Elisha okayed it, didn't he? And the reason was he would not be worshiping; he would be following a a procedure that he was expected to do as a military man. And I think Elisha recognized that and said, okay. When I read that, I remembered, and this is personal, but I preached in a Russian Orthodox church back in 1999. No, earlier than that, back in 1992 or three, it was cold Cold, cold. And the priest came back in the crowd and got me and took me down to the front. I thought he was going to put me in the pulpit. He didn't want me to preach. In fact, when I got up to preach, he left. But he took me down front and I stood there and he took the cross from around his neck and started stirring in a bucket of water. And my guide said, he's changing that water to holy water. So I'm down there helping him change the water to holy water. And I said, I'm glad you told me what he's doing because I had no idea. And I got some of that stuff thrown at me, so I got holy water on me. I don't think that poisoned me, but it's just what it is. And, and then somebody said, I, I thought we were going to let the American preach. And he said, pulpit, and then he ran out the back door. Everybody else stayed, thankfully. 
and I preached. Anybody have any thought on Remen and bowing down with the master before Remen? I think so. They were not. They would not bow down and worship. It's a different thing. They would not bow down and worship pretense. She's asked about the three Hebrew children who refused to bow down. Good question. Anybody else? I know what you're thinking. I would say something, but you can't hear me. One question, Dave. Yes. So do you think, you know, in verse 20, see Gehazi's perspective on what happened? You know, when he says, See, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian and not accepting from his hand what he brought. So, do you think that after time, Gehazi had some pride, basically, in what Elisha was able to do, and who they were, and the Assyrians shouldn't be able to have the kind of gifts that God could give, that should only be for Israelites, something like that? James is saying that Gehazi might have been jealous of the... Uh... Syrians and wanted to take that for the Israelites. And uh, that may be the case. I think he is just really selfish, though. I think he's taking it for himself. Because he stated there are some young men that are trained to be preachers or prophets that have come to our place, and they need this material. They need this wealth you have. We need a couple of garments there, and we need uh, some gold and silver. And uh, I think he wanted it for himself. But anyway, he might have wanted to upstage the uh, Syrians. Who knows? Yes, sir. I think, and of course, we're just giving a little bit, but, but when he's asked, you know, like, hey, where did you go? If this was a, you know, hey, they owe us something, or, you know, they're not God's chosen people, it seems like he would have said, like, hey, I went and took what should belong to us, right? What is owed to us. But no, he, he just lied. So the impression I've always gotten is this was an unscrupulous person. He was just trying to feather his own nest. Yeah, thank you. Okay, anything else? That was the bell, but I guess that's our bell. I don't know. It's only 7.30. You're not leaving us, are you, girl? Yes, she is. I've known that lady since she was crawling around in the floor. <clears throat> For you who don't know, that's Cindy's sister. Okay. Yes. Can I ask a question? 
Absolutely. I don't know if I can answer it or not, but you can ask it. I don't know. Thank you for asking, though. Brother Bill's on to it. If he can't find it now, he'll find it and come to you. Very good. Any other questions or comments or thoughts of any kind that are good? You've been a good class. You listened well. I didn't have anything new for you. Everybody knew everything I said, but I enjoyed saying it anyway. Tomorrow night we're going to go into the furnace. <clears throat> and then... uh Wednesday night, we're going into a the belly of a great fish, which incidentally is not a whale. I know that's going to be disappointing to you. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for our class. Thank you for the participation. Thank you for our life for Christ. Help us to be grounded in the faith and lead others to Christ. Build others up in the faith. Bring us back tomorrow night, if such is your will. Guide us in paths of righteousness. We pray through Christ. Amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest. Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.